0: I would say that harvests were earlier this
1: year than they have been in other years. Welcome to Extension Out Loud, Episode 6. This is the first of our 2018 Harvest Highlights Series, and I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Balden. Hey, Katie. Hello. We sat down and talked to two of our vegetable specialists out in the field. The first one we spoke with was Ethan Grunberg. He's a vegetable specialist with the Eastern New York Commercial...
2: Horticulture Program. That one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we like those teams. And then we also talked to...
2: We also talked to Judson Reed, who is an Extension Vegetable Specialist, and he is with the Cornell Vegetable Program and Harvest New York team.
3: My name is Ethan Grumberg. I'm a Regional Vegetable Crop Specialist with the Eastern New York Commercial Horticulture Program. We cover about 17 counties in Eastern New York from Putnam and Orange County in the south all the way up to Clinton County near the Canadian border. I mostly work in Orange County where there's about 14,000 acres of muck soils Muck soils are defined as soils with more than 20% organic matter. They were formed in prehistoric wetlands, lakes that were then turned into wetlands and then drained to become productive agricultural soils. There's a large concentration of conventional onion production, there. But given our proximity to New York City as well, the trend over time has been fewer onions and more mixed vegetable productions for direct sale to customer in uh, the New York City green markets. So I work supporting the commercial vegetable growers in this region. So besides onions, Ethan, what are the other products that seem to be big in your area? Interestingly enough, kabocha squash is a huge product. There's probably about 700 acres of kabocha squash being grown here for specialty markets, Central American consumers, as well as East Asian consumers in the city. What Um, do those look like? They're kind of a a round, dark bluish green color with a very bright, vividly orange flesh. It's a drier flesh, so they fry really well. So if you've ever had tempura squash in a Japanese restaurant, it's typically a kabocha squash.
1: How long has that sort of squash been produced in your region and has the market grown? What are the current factors affecting the production
3: of that? sure so a couple of early kind of experimenters started growing it in the 70s out here and more and more growers have started trying to grow it not so much because you make a tremendous amount of money on it but for onion growers they're often looking for any opportunity that they can to rotate ground out of onions to break up some of the pest and disease cycles. And so kabocha squash was an opportunity for some growers to do that. The market is great early in the season. And once everyone's harvesting their kabocha squash, the market plummets pretty quickly. And so it's often a race to get your crop in before South Jersey comes in with some of theirs. And then there's a decent amount of production on muck soils in Canada as well. And so once that crop comes in, that kind of pushes the market value down as well. So we've got the squash, what else do we have happening? Really anything you can think of that's a vegetable crop, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, artichokes, zucchini, the whole gamut is grown on the muck. Again, these are growers that are trying to provide a full offering to their customers at farmers markets down in the city. So the bulk of trade really happens with markets in the city? There are a couple different ways to look at this if you look at a on a per acre basis the biggest crops grown on the muck are onions sod which i don't deal with at all and also soybeans now Uh, again not so much for the value that they provide to the grower but for the rotational value that they provide with onion production. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are probably the biggest acreage eaters of of crops down here. But in terms of dollar value, definitely the mixed vegetable production for direct sales in the city is, is where it's at.
1: When you're talking about mixed vegetable production, what scale of farm are we talking about?
3: Well, it's kind of all over the place. There are a couple of larger mixed vegetable operations that have been selling at the green markets in the city for, well, since their inception in the 70s. That are growing on about 700 to 800 acres. Mm-hmm. Um, those operations typically dedicate 100 plus acres to conventional onion production and rotate through with their mixed vegetable production. But there are a couple operations that are much, much smaller than that. One of the most successful growers that I can think of is on 16 acres and supports his family on on that scale um, and was an early adopter of organic production practices and has really found a niche for himself down there.
2: So do you primarily work with organic producers or conventional as well?
3: I work with everyone. And uh, the bulk of the growers in this region are conventional, but I do have a background in organic agriculture. Has it been a good year for onions in general? The sad truth is that it has been a pretty miserable year for onions. We had a very cold, wet start to the season. We had a late snow that delayed some of the direct seeded onions. Most onion growers want to start putting seed in the ground late March into early April. And I think most of the plantings went in mid to late April this year so we had a late start they didn't grow very quickly because it was still cool we followed that up with about six weeks of intense heat and drought I don't think we got a single drop of rain on the muck soil for that entire stretch of time and then late July the skies opened up and it hasn't really stopped raining since so the outcome of that is that onions were not very big going into their bulbing period Uh, onions start bulbing as a response to photo period so after June 21st the response is to really start pushing bulb growth and less foliar growth. So if you don't have a lot of foliar growth by that time, you end up with a smaller yield potential as a result. So we were already kind of in that boat going into what was then terrible weather for onion growing and uh, nevertheless because the lack of precipitation during that time there was not a lot of foliar disease pressure and one of the biggest production challenges for growers down here is bacterial bulbrots of onions. There's kind of a direct correlation between heavy rain events and an increase in the incidence of bacterial bulbrots. Those bacterial pathogens mostly survive in the soil, get splashed up during rain events, and then get driven down the leaf tissue inside the leaf by the rain. So the weather we've had for the last month or so has been terrible for bacterial bull Again, because it's so wet, most of the onions are mechanically harvested and there haven't been a lot of opportunities to get into the field because it's been so wet. There are thousands of acres of onions still waiting to be harvested. So what percentage of farms actually depend on the onion harvest
1: as their economic foundation?
3: Ah, uh, what percent? <laughs> Probably 50% of the muck growers, at least, depend on onion production as a cornerstone of their operation. Even like I mentioned earlier, the mixed vegetable growers, most of them still have over 100 acres in onions. And those onions do a couple things. One, if they're transplanting early onions and they do have a large crew, it gives their crew something to do to make money early in the season to transplant all those onions. But it also provides work opportunities through the winter as well for grading and packing and selling those onions since they're a good storage crop. So it's not just the farm income, but it's also thinking about the work opportunities for farm employees as well, that there's quite a bit of dependence on the onion industry for that.
2: So you said that there are still a bunch of onions out there waiting to be harvested. So are we right now in a season where typically the onions would be being harvested or is the harvest season later this year?
3: It is later this year. A lot of, because of some of the environmental stresses that we discussed earlier, a lot of the onions matured later. um, So they weren't ready to be harvested as early as they could be. And then because of the conditions, it's been delayed even further. It's not at the point yet, where anyone feels like the onions are irrecoverable necessarily. If it's uh, a month from now and we're still in the same situation, then perhaps. And obviously what gets more challenging is as it continues to rain and day length decreases and temperature decreases, the potential for those fields to dry out quickly goes way down. So that's really what we're looking for is a nice dry spell to dry fields down enough that they can get the harvester in there.
2: What are onions typically grown for? What is the market like for them?
3: The type of onion that grows well on muck soils is a very pungent storage onion, so pungent meaning uh, high sulfur content. the so, uh, muck soils are naturally very high in sulfur, so they even if you grew a, a sweet you know batalia type. For example, on the muck soil, the flavor profile would be completely different. And so the the soils are much better suited to, to pungent storage onions, especially yellow bulb onions. There is a fair amount of red bulb onions that are grown as well because they typically fetch a higher price. And then they're almost exclusively grown for wholesale markets. So there are a number of onion packers as well in the area who not only buy locally, and many of them are also producers of onions, but they will purchase onions from around the country to be able to supply their buyers year round with onions. Those are the two types of onions grown here, uh, storage reds and storage yellows. So
1: where else in New York State do we grow onions? Is it pretty much exclusively located in Orange County? Are there other locations?
3: Well, historically, about half were grown in Orange County. The other half were grown on the Elba muck out in Orleans County. That has shifted a bit over time. The number of acres in onion production has not decreased as much on the Elba muck, But, you know, as we discussed earlier, given the proximity to New York City, more and more growers are trying to find a way to capitalize on that market and diversify a little bit and sell direct to consumer. So the number of acres in onions has decreased over the last 20 years in Orange County to a point where I think we're probably around 3,600 acres in, uh, in onions this year, and out in Elba, they're probably over 5,000 still.
1: Wow. <laughs> Just get back a little bit, we talked about the weather, we talked about it's been
3: a miserable year for onions. Was the previous year a better year for onions? Yes, very much so. Last year was a phenomenal year for onion production. And we started out last year fairly wet and cool, which does delay some of the uh, maturation of the onion, but it provides the onion, which has a notoriously crummy root system to really establish itself and not get stressed out early in the season. Uh, And then we had a nice spell of warm, but not hot, dry weather through late July, August, and into September that allowed those onions to mature properly without tremendous amount of of pressure from some of those foliar and bulb pathogens that we discussed earlier, and harvest was a breeze last year.
2: What advice are you giving growers this season?
3: Perhaps one of the elephants in the room among several is a conversation around what is the new normal to expect in terms of weather patterns and whether or not you believe in climate change. Climate prediction models would suggest that what we experienced this year in this area is probably going to be a more common experience going forward. So the question becomes what can be done to try to mitigate some of those changes in in weather and climate. Most of the growers on a large scale down here have already made the investment in tile drainage to help move water out of fields, which certainly helps with conditions like this but only a couple of growers have really invested in irrigation infrastructure. One of the qualities of muck soils, given the high organic matter percentage, is that it has a tremendous water holding capacity. So even with six weeks of drought, with no irrigation, a lot of crops were thriving that had deeper root systems than onions. But there have been a couple of growers who have started playing around with installing very drip irrigation tape in their onions. And in a year like this, certainly up until late July, It seemed like that might be a a wise path to to consider, at least on some acreage going forward. Trying to think of systems that will be resilient moving forward into an uncertain climate future is one conversation that I'm having And, and looking again at ways to diversify production to diversify risk and diversify income streams and do so in a way that can help sustain the land going forward. So, again, you know, I mentioned that amount of acreage and kabocha squash. We're doing some work now trialing reduced tillage systems in that kabocha squash to see if we can not negatively impact yields, increase quality, and help preserve some of that soil health going forward as well. So those are some of the conversations that are happening right now.
0: My name is Judson Reed. I am with Cornell Cooperative Extension. I have a couple of roles with this great organization. I'm a vegetable specialist with the Cornell Vegetable Program, which serves the western portion of New York State. We work with all types of vegetable growers there and my specialty tends to be greenhouse grown vegetables, what we call high tunnels, uh, soil-based greenhouses, as well as I work with Uh, The produce auctions throughout uh, New York State, those tend to be focused in Amish and Mennonite communities and uh, other work with fresh market vegetable growers. Then I also have the privilege of leading a regional extension team called Harvest New York, and Harvest New York is a little bit different in that the specialists serve different sectors of agriculture, oftentimes further down the value chain, often in the processing segment of our agricultural goods. For example, we have a dairy processing program where we have two specialists that go out and work with dairy plants. We're located in the western part of the state the northern part of the state, and the five boroughs of New York City. We have two urban ag specialists that work with urban farmers out of their office in downtown Brooklyn.
1: Broad overview, what has the state of the market been this season? What's sure. it looking like?
0: Sure. And so the harvest season is really a consequence of everything in the growing season that led up to it. And so here we are in early October and the season started off very dry, and so we had an extended dry period that in many ways is beneficial to farmers and that they were able to get a lot of field work done early they weren't restricted by wet soils or late frosts. And then we had a wet spell that began maybe in August. So my observation is that the vegetable crops that I work with were stressed by that initial dry spell. I don't know if drought is quite the right word because we did have the occasional thunder shower that kept things moving for us. But there was unquestionably a a stress on a lot of your fruiting vegetables, pumpkins, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, all of those I think were a little bit drought stressed early on, which pushed them to call it fruiting stage or generative stage. So they produce flowers, set fruit. And I think that early fruit set really stressed the overall crop. We were dry and it was also windy. And so in crops such as peppers, that produces a condition called blossom end rot, which is a lack of calcium. Calcium is transported by water out to the blossom end of the fruit. And when the plant experiences any water stress, we can develop this condition, which is gonna look like just a dry brown, rotten spot on the fruit. It happens to a number of different vegetables, but for peppers in particular in 2018, was probably the highest amount of blossom end rot I've ever seen. So for peppers, it was a bad year. And I think that was a function of when they went in the ground when they're fruiting and when they're also in a vegetative stage, in other words, when are they putting on new shoots and new leaves, and all of that creates a water and calcium demand within the plant, and at times, particularly if it's windy and your transpiration rate is really high, you're losing a lot of moisture from the plant, you'll end up with a lot of blossom drop. It was very bad this year. So I would say, depending on what crop you're looking at, probably total yields were diminished. Mm -hmm. And as we came into the early fall, I would say that harvests were earlier this year than they have been in other years. Pumpkins, for example, other vine crops matured much sooner than they have in other years. And I think that's because of that early fruit set and stress.
2: So you mentioned earlier that you're a high tunnel specialist. Can you tell us a little bit more about high tunnels and how they impact the growing season of the vegetables grown in them?
0: Sure. So high tunnels are um, low-technology soil-based greenhouses that allow farmers to plant uh, up to two months ahead of what they would plant in the field. Mm -hmm. And by growing under protection, excluding rain and wind and this sort of thing, We can improve the total yield of the crop and generally the quality of the crop and of course the harvest window. So for many farmers what that translates into is higher prices or extended market windows during price peaks. I mentioned earlier that I work with a lot of produce auctions. There's eight produce auctions now in New York State doing millions and millions of dollars worth of business in fruits and vegetables. And those prices are volatile. And you can imagine that early in the season, prices are higher for any number of crops, tomatoes in particular that I work with. We can see prices early on of maybe 50 or $60 for a 25 pound box. So over $2 per pound, say in the months of May, June, or possibly July. Now we get to August and September, and anyone who grows tomatoes in their backyard knows, by September you've got all the tomatoes you want. Mm -hmm. And so the wholesale market feels the same way, Mm -hmm. and we see our prices drop down to less than $5 for that exact same box of Mm -hmm. tomatoes. So high tunnels help the farmer by pushing their harvest into those better wholesale prices. Okay. Does that answer your question?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and what kind of crops do you grow in high tunnels again?
0: Tomatoes are by far the most common crop, and that's a function of, number one, their retail value. Mm-hmm. Aside from potatoes, tomatoes are the most consumed fresh vegetable in the country. And so oh. it's over 20 pounds of fresh tomatoes per person per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't include sauce, et cetera, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't eat any fresh tomatoes, so somebody's oh, up eating forty pounds.
2: <laughs> Probably.
1: <laughs> yeah, that you make up for it. Month. I, I feel <laughs> like I've been picking up a lot of slack for you. Yeah, <laughs>
0: really. Um, so, so tomatoes, because there is such high demand for them, despite uh, Paul's aversions, so, <laughs> are the most common crop, and it's also a function of how that plant responds to the environment. responds very well to the dry environment, um, dry foliar environment, mm-hmm. and utilizes the high. Space, the vertical space that we have in that growing environment, very well. Tomatoes will be followed probably by cucumbers. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole other type of growing, which is winter growing, where we grow a greens crop. And that greens crop could be spinach, a number of different uh, Asian greens, such as Totsoy or Mizuna, Swiss chard, etc. All these hardy, dark green. Salad type products, and we can grow those in the late fall and harvest them throughout winter with the use of low tunnels within high tunnels.
1: Uh, and
0: so that's probably the most that's the next
1: most common cropping pattern. And you know, I'm thinking about your stakeholders. I'm picturing this very diverse farm that's growing peppers and tomatoes and has some high tunnels. Is that the case for your producers, or do they have a diverse production cycle?
0: Most people I work with have a diverse mix of vegetables, and that just happens to be my niche within vegetable farming. I'm I'm very fortunate that I'm able to take a fairly broad view of agriculture because of the different roles that I play in this system, and so I get to see the other sectors as well. Some of your more commodity-oriented farms have less diversity. If we were to look at a dairy farm, you're looking at maybe three or four different crops in there. That's a smaller rotation, but oftentimes those farms are able to put in crop rotations and cover cropping in a way that the very small, diversified vegetable farms cannot because they don't have the space. Oftentimes they're short on land and the entire enterprise in those circumstances oftentimes built on intensive cash flow of annual vegetable crops, which means that most of the farm is locked into a very short rotation with closely related crop species. And so oftentimes you can see some really sharp pest and disease build up on some of these smaller diversified farms, whereas the larger farms with less crops have larger rotations spatially and also sequentially, which helps break up weeds, Insects, pests, as well as uh, diseases. Fascinating.
1: It is. I learn something every day. This year was a good year except for peppers. Yeah. And that's environmental. Have the past few years been good? Has it been an up and down roller coaster? Is there a pattern that we can see over the past few years? No, Boy,
0: it doesn't seem like there's any pattern. It seems like it's, you know, crazy as the new normal. I think every year is very different weather-wise. Pests and diseases are changing, and that's something that is different. So in the last couple weeks, we had the announcement of a new invasive pest called spotted lanternfly, which threatens a number of crops. That's new. And prior to this, we had other invasive pests such as brown marmorated stink bug and spotted winged drosophila. And those invasive pests really change how farmers grow things if you look at spotted winged drosophila for example what i like to say is that pest is so intense and so destructive that if you're growing raspberries the pest pressure is so strong that you're no longer really a raspberry or you're a spotted wing drosophila killer or you're not in business that changes the dynamic for farmers tremendously these invasive pests couple of diseases are also they're not invasive pests per se but late blight for example which we did have in 2018 not widespread but we did have it it appears to be changing in that we're getting what they call multiple mating types which we haven't had in new york in the past and the risk is those mating types can through sexual combination create a new strain of late blight that could possibly overwinter in new york produce overwinning structures, which we never had in the past. Yeah. Downy mildew of cucurbits, downy mildew of cucumbers and cantaloupes and other vine crops. It's a disease that historically we've seen for many years, but its distribution and epidemiology seem to be changing. And so this again puts the farmer in more of a pest and disease management mode than farming mode at times. Those are changes I've seen over the last few years. Why do you think that is? Is it just natural evolution? Or? It doesn't seem like it. With pests, I think it's an issue of, of probably global trade that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the invasive pests we're seeing. With the diseases, I, I can't say. I think uh, some of these things we're still learning about, but I think climate change is certainly something to consider here. What role does that have in the survival of pests and diseases in the Northeast and, and in other places?
2: Uh, I have. Of completely random questions yes
0: I like <laughs> so. I do don't, I don't like talking about the same old thing I like talking about, I like being more philosophical go ahead
2: <laughs> so um, I have a very very small garden
0: mm-hmm.
2: my eggplants this year were crazy. had so many
0: eggplants.
2: Oh, nice. Was that a a trend?
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny you ask that. As you ask me these questions, no, it was, we actually, I said it was a good year, but it was not a good year for eggplants because we had an overabundance of a certain small insect called a tarnished plant bug. And tarnished plant bug will feed on eggplant flowers Hmm. and then you won't set fruit. And so this was by far the heaviest year of tarnished plant bug as well for, in my observation, I've, I started in extension 18 years ago so it was not a great year for eggplant except
1: in your garden where apparently
2: <laughs> Interesting. conditions were just
0: right so good for you
1: this episode of extension out loud was produced and edited by paul treadwell with help and advice from katie belden and rj anderson